0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield podcast, where we look at current events through the eye of faith, through the eye of history, through the eye of leadership and character. I want to talk in this episode about a recent event, which I believe is sort of a bellwether event. It's going to happen again, it's going to recur because of the times in which we live. And since I have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are in government and uh, national leadership in various ways, heading major organizations. I thought I would look at this event more from the standpoint, not just in terms of the tragedy it is right now, but what it portends, what it indicates about the future. And of course, I'm talking about the Maui fires. So let me drop back just a little bit, develop the history a little bit, and then we'll talk about some of the main features of this fire and our response to it that we really need to examine and that we need to Used to prepare in other localities. So on August the 8th, a fire began in Maui. On the extreme western portion of Maui, in an area called Lahaina, a town called Lahaina. If you know anything about uh, Hawaiian history, you know that Hawaii was not, of course, always a state. It at one point was an independent uh, nation, and this was its capital. Lahaina was its capital. So on August the 8th, a fire began. Now, how did it begin? Well, we don't know that yet. Uh, only about 1% of the fires in Hawaii are natural, meaning because of volcanoes or some natural event. Turning that number around, 99% are man-made. They're because somebody left their grill, their campfire going, or didn't handle their grill quite right, or threw a cigarette into some dry underbrush or something of that nature. So it's likely that the fire was man-made. However, there were some factors that caused this fire to be unbelievably severe. And one of them has to do with the extreme drought in Hawaii right now. Let me pause for a moment and say, what I don't wanna do right now is debate global warming. Okay. I understand there are differences amongst experts. I'm not able to parse all those out. What we know for sure is that we are living in a time of global warming. The debate is about how man-made it is. I do know as a historian, we've had periods of extreme warmth and extreme cold in history before. Uh, Currently, uh, the level of warmth is not beyond what we've had before. Uh, We are breaking some records, but I'm not going to debate that now. I'm not trying to solve that. What I am trying to say is that we are living in a time of drought and superheat and uh, global warming. Uh, There's no question there's a trend of global warming happening, and I'm going to let the experts work out how much that's man-made and how we ought to respond. I'm basically an advocate for green energy because I think it's healthier for us and safer and will ultimately be even cheaper uh, and more sustainable, but that's not what this podcast is about right now. So back to the Maui fires. The fact is that Maui and many of the Hawaiian islands were experiencing a drought. And apparently the foliage of uh, Maui for sure, and much of Hawaii, uh, when it's extremely dry, it becomes unbelievably flammable. Some people use the phrase super tender, meaning that not just that it's tender like in steaks, um, but it's like tender for a fire, that it is unbelievably flammable. Okay, so that's what was going on at the time. August 8th, you've got a drought going on. Uh, the foliage is extremely dry. It is super tender. It's sitting there waiting really to be lit up because that's, that's chemically and physically and botanically, it's perfect tender. It's perfect for a fire. And then something else was a factor. Uh, if you've been watching the news, you now know that California is under a tropical storm warning and uh, it's pretty rare for them to have that. Well, this is from... From Hurricane Hillary, which on August 8th was still a thousand miles from Hawaii, but the winds were very high in Hawaii, specifically uh, in Maui because of this storm. So even though Hurricane Hillary was a thousand miles away, much closer to Japan, The fact is that the winds over the Pacific were very high. So on August the 8th in Maui, you had some probably human-caused fire. You had foliage that was super tender, and you had high winds, and the perfect storm happened. And you had an unbelievable firestorm that almost completely decimated Lahaina, and burned other parts of Maui. Now, Lahaina is on the extreme west of Maui. Uh, it juts out in what's uh, at another, in another landmass would probably be called a peninsula. And so it's odd. It's uh, surrounded on three sides by uh, water, but this fire was horrible. Okay. Now, It was unbelievably devastating. The fire was so hot because of the tender and the winds that it melted metal. We now know this without question so it has done amazing devastation let me tell you the sad fact and i want to pause here and say i'm not in emergency management i just have some friends who are and i'm able to talk to them in in uh, in maui and so they tell me what they can of what's going on because i'm i'm trying to inform people and i'm i'm not a reporter but i'm trying to make sure especially people in government are thinking these things through long term so about uh, slightly over 100 people have been found dead However, there are almost a thousand people, the the number being reported is nine fifty, uh nine hundred and fifty people who have not been discovered yet they are lost. They are. We have not found them. And I'm sorry to be so graphic, but it's very possible that a number of them have been incinerated. We know that people were incinerated in their cars in heat so powerful that it can melt metal. You are really going to have people who are uh, left there on the ground reduced to powder. And so this is going to be an, a very, very difficult forensic problem, trying to determine who died, where they are, Um, who survived, who didn't. And I do know that the emergency management system in Maui has just ordered 400 more body bags, and they already have used about 108. So really, all told, just about 1,000 people are not yet found, not yet discovered we could have a very high body count. Now, some people are claiming that this is the worst fire in American history. Not true. We've lost thousands in fires before. Definitely the worst fire in Hawaiian history and one of the worst fires of its kind. Now, that's the tragedy. That's what's unfolding. I know you'll pray for Maui. I know you'll pray for Hawaii. And by the way, let me tell you now that my charity of choice for responding to disasters pretty much around the world, but definitely in the United States, is Convoy of Hope. Bev and I support them. Uh, We believe in them. We know the people there. I've spoken at some of their fundraising events. I believe in these people. Convoyofhope.org. Convoyofhope.org. If you're sitting there and you want to help You want to make a difference, you want to give some money, go on to convoyofhope.org. I just did it before I started recording this, and you will see right there on the homepage uh, an update as to what they're doing and how you can give. Now, what made this fire worse was that some utilities and some systems broke down. First of all, the system, the alarm system that they use to warn of disasters is largely about hurricanes. And so the man who was the head of the emergency management system, and thus this alert system, decided not to sound it out, not to turn it on. Because people, for the most part, when they hear this alarm, what do they do? They run to the interior. Well, that's where the fires were. So in other words, and I'm not blaming this gentleman, he has actually resigned. I'm not even going to say his name on the air because I'm I'm not gunning for him at all. But the man who made that decision did it because, again, if you have a hurricane, what do you want people to do? You want them to move away from the coastal areas. Well, by moving away from the coastal areas to the interior during this fire, you were running to the fire. So he made the decision not to sound the alarm. Well, now he's being accused. That's why he's resigned. There are going to be lawsuits. There are going to be other uh, allegations. Uh, He's being accused. And the system, by the way, being accused of having cost lives. Okay, number two, apparently the plan is that when you have fires like this, and some of the power lines might be in jeopardy, you turn the power off to those areas. Well, they did not do that. So some of these power lines fell to the ground, lit the tender that was sitting there dried and ready to go, got fanned into a conflagration by the winds that we've already talked about. And so you not only had the original fire, which as we say, might've been a campfire or something else, uh, but now you have a number of fires started by, downed power lines. So people will be investigating that. There are already lawsuits. The lawyers are lining up. You can imagine how that's going. Now, in addition to that, for whatever reason, and I cannot posit from this distance, obviously, Maui's 2,000 miles from the West Coast of the United States, and I'm sitting in Washington, D.C. right now on the East Coast. So I'm not going to play God and act like I know what's happening all that distance away. However, Almost immediately, the cell phone signals, the cell phone service went down. Almost immediately, okay? Well, so you've got people who don't have an alarm system, aren't being alerted, don't have cell service, are being surrounded by fires, many of which apparently started by downed power lines that should have been shut off according to the emergency plan. And then, of course, you have the dry tender and the winds all of which is causing great deaths. And again, it reaches a heat level that melts metal. Now, I'm not rehearsing all of this for entertainment. I'm rehearsing all of this because obviously what's got to happen in the future is that governing leaders, heads of utilities, private companies that provide services have got to anticipate this kind of thing happening. Right. We can't afford in this day and age to lose cell signal because of a fire. I realize you might lose a tower or two, but you've got to have alternate routes. You got to have alternate signals. You got to figure out other ways to do it. You got to have your stuff together. You've, if you've got one alarm system on the on an island or in a city, you've got to figure out maybe different sounds for different kinds of disasters. You got to figure out that if you have something horrible happening, an earthquake, a fire, and you sound the alarm for a hurricane on basically an island that they're going to run to the interior, well, what's the alternative? Scope these things out. Drill these things. Think these things through. Map these things out. What, what are the, What are the possibilities? Lives were lost, maybe many, many more than we know, because systems broke down. Quite frankly, I'm I'm not wanting to serve any one person up because without question, people did not have the imagination. People in charge did not have the imagination to anticipate that something like this might happen. And by the way, this is in a state that suffers fires quite a bit, most of them man-made, but suffers fires quite a bit. Because of the unique foliage, because of the camping and because of tourists and all that kind of thing. So we have to have in our governance and our utilities, in our institutions of authority and power, uh, that we we have to have the imagination to envision what's what's possible. And that's what's made this worse. This was a serious fire, no question. People will rebuild. But the devastation, the level of devastation and the terror that it has uh, struck into human hearts is because. Systems failed. Leaders did not have imagination. Plans were not made. We didn't game out, as they say in the military, the possibilities. We didn't project the possibilities. So we may have lost as many. This would probably be extremely high, but we may have lost as many as 1,000 people. Lawsuits will go on for years. And there's great tension over this. As you may know, some of the stars who own property on Maui are begging tourists not to come because believe it or not, in our calloused age, in our age that is just uh, disaster calloused and hardened, you've got people swimming and vacationing within sight of where the fires were. That's kind of grotesque and ghastly, but that's nevertheless what's going on. And so some of the stars out there Who own property and care about Maui are saying, please don't come. You're in the way. You're slowing down rescue services. You're not helping us by spending your dollars on the island. Give us some time. Back away. But we have a situation. It's kind of like the number of shootings, uh, active shooter situations in the United States. We have one every few days, until until recently anyway. People get calloused, people get hardened. And perhaps the symbol of some of this hardening that can happen when it comes to a disaster is that people are surfing and swimming and picnicking and vacationing on the beach within a matter of yards of where disasters have happened, where pulverized bodies might be. It's ghastly. It's gross. But that's what goes on in a society that has constant, constant horrible news the heart gets a bit hardened. Now, I want to give these people some grace. Some of these tourists, I happen to know, just because I know some folks who are there now, uh, trying to help, and they've talked to the tourists and they've said, well, some of these tourists came to help. They came for vacations and decided to f- dive in, roll up their sleeves and help us, and that's noble. Others thought they might be doing good to the economy on the island. Okay, all of this has to be thought through. And the fact that this is a one island amongst a number of islands in a state, of course, makes this worse. We're not talking about New York here or Washington, D.C. We're talking about a rural, fairly rural portion of one island in Hawaii called Maui. So my point in making this the focus of my podcast episode is to say for those of you who are leaders, for those of you who had utilities, and we've got a number of them listening to this podcast, for those of you who are in a position, and we all are in a sense in position, in a position in America, because we all vote. Let's make sure that our leaders are thinking through the possibilities. We live in an age of global warming. We live in an age of interdependent utilities and services. We live in an age when we rely perhaps far more than we should, but nevertheless, we rely extensively on our cell phone. Think about it. If you're suddenly caught in your area of the country in a fire or a flood, or a, a earthquake or whatever, what are you going to rely on? You're going to rely on your phone for GPS information. You're going to rely on your phone for updates as to where problems are. You're going to rely on your phone for driving information. You're going to rely on your phone to call for help. You're going to rely on your phone to call family members and see how they are. Your phone is huge. If that goes down in our day and age, it's not like you can go to the, the, the your kitchen and take the phone off the wall. None of us have one. We've got to think these things through. We can't be relying on systems that where we haven't gamed out every possibility and where those services aren't led by people of imagination. Now, i mean to cast no aspersions on those in charge in Maui, but systems broke down. People are resigning. Government leaders are scratching their heads. The governor of the state has made some declarations that have actually made things worse. I won't dive into that now. And my goal is not to accuse anyone, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not trying to generate an audience by being bombastic. I'm saying, let's govern well. Let's lead well. Because it's gonna take years for Maui Lahaina to get back online, to get restored. The lawsuits may last even longer. There was an epic failure here. Thank God it wasn't even bigger but is disastrous enough to be a warning in our time. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular global speaker, and senior fellow for public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv